0: You are listening to episode 137 of the STEM Space. In this episode, we dive into the frustrations college professors express about the way engineering is taught in K-12 education that are leaving students ill-prepared for higher education. Tune in to hear about this disconnect between K-12 and college-level engineering, as well as some of our experience from the Space Exploration Educators Conference. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Natasha. Hey, Claire. Where are you right now? <laughs> I am uh, sitting in a hotel. <laughs> with you (laughs) we're together (laughs) you should clarify we are at the space exploration educators conference at nasa johnson space center in houston texas the most amazing pd for teachers it's our happy place yeah we've this is our seventh eighth year we should probably calculate i'm not sure but around there but it's something that i look forward to every year you the first time Uh, you went Mm -hmm. you called me afterwards from your car crying Mm -hmm. I don't cry but (laughs) so this was a big deal you were so inspired and yeah every year I feel like this is our people it's all these teachers that are so passionate about teaching and incorporating space exploration we get to meet I mean really cool people we just met somebody from China yeah. And he was so passionate about bringing stem and space to his home country. Yeah, and at the time of this recording it's actually Chinese New Year, so oh, happy yeah. new year. Year of the dragon. Yes. <laughs> so that was really cool cuz he gave us like a pin from China and a little astronaut, Chinese he said it was Chinese astronaut. Mhm. Um which is probably most of the astronauts that you can buy from this. I mean, place. they have They're helmets all from, so, <laughs> so, but yeah, it was really cool. He was super kind and really passionate about bringing more STEM education, quality STEM education to China. And that's just the, there's just so much networking that happens here. We have a teacher that's going to be joining us for lunch tomorrow. That's from South Africa, which is amazing. So it's, it's just so cool. And then we, of course, have sessions that we go to, um, professional development sessions that are led by teachers, by engineers, by industry people. And and we get to learn lots of stuff. And by astronauts. Astronauts, yeah. Don't forget that. Which they don't announce which ones are going to have astronauts usually because they fill up really fast. So apparently there was one that had Don Pettit in it. And I'm really sad that I didn't know. And they didn't announce it. But that's okay, because I got to talk to Dottie, um, astronaut Dottie today, which was really cool. So they had a panel this morning of educator astronauts, Joe Acaba, um, Barbara Morgan. Just it was so amazing. amazing. Yeah. What have been your big takeaways at SEEK this year? Well, I always love dancing the night away. So tonight was the banquet. And usually conference banquets are really lame, I have to say. (laughs) Like you eat some okay food and you sit down. It's very formal. Mm -hmm. You're kind of stuck at a table with people you don't really care to talk to. I don't know. That's been my experience at other conferences. Mm -hmm. This one, you are at the visitor center of NASA JSC. So it's NASA After Dark. And the whole place is just magical because you have like the ISS – and the Orion and like this big moon globe in a Mars landscape that you can walk through. Mm-hmm. And there's real space suits that were worn by the Apollo astronauts. Space and toilet. There's a space <laughs> toilet. <laughs> yeah, Not one like it, that you use, it's on display. Right. Uh, but all the exhibits that you would come see if you come to Houston, the Space Center at Houston, We get to have a banquet there and then we get to dance for hours. How many hours? Many hours. (laughs) We're pretty tired, but that was so fun. And we discovered, so we've been coming here for many years and apparently they've always had this, but we discovered in some far off corner of the space center, there was karaoke that was happening. That was mind blowing. It was like in a hidden part of the museum. And I, we did not participate this year, but next time. Next time. Yeah, we got to find our song and rehearse, I feel like. But it, you can't tell if you're listening to this, but my clothes are really loud. <laughs> they are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very sparkly. Okay. So, what, what? my favorite part, not my favorite part, but a good moment. One of the great things about Seek is that you can dress. Um, wild. Like Miss Frizzle. <laughs> yeah. <there you> <laughs> when I say wild. So I mean. I, if you are looking for clothes to wear in the science or STEM classroom that matches your theme or maybe whatever unit you're talking about, go to Svaha USA. They don't sponsor this podcast, but I just love them so much. Svaha and they have really cool outfits. In fact, Natasha, you are wearing a constellation dress that glows in the dark. It's actually mine, but and I got so many compliments. Yes, so you I did. appreciate it. <laughs> you. Yeah. And this uh, solar system necklace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Beautiful. Is it from there or is there somewhere else? Uh no. My sister gave me that. Oh. I don't know where it's from. We should link it in the show notes. I'll find, find one. It. Yep. Um, yeah. And then I have a I have a very shiny sequin shirt and pleather pants on right now yes she does and the headband (laughs) don't forget that oh i have a sparkly headband yes uh it was 90s themed i don't know what that is saved by the bell we tried i think it when in the 90s i was wearing those stirrup pants the stirrup (laughs) leggings did you ever have those i did that have the the elastic band that goes around the bottom of your front. was that necessary i don't (laughs) know no no. it kept them in your shoes i forgot about those (laughs) back when I like refused to wear denim. I don't know what the deal was there. Interesting. So. yeah. So I guess I'm close with my pleather pants mm-hmm. close to the, the stirrup mm-hmm. leggings. <laughs> Where were we going with this? I don't know. We had a great time. But so we were, yeah, that started at like 630. It is, we just got back. It's currently 1156 PM. We're exhausted because we've been in sessions all day. Uh, Yeah, the first one was like, we were there at 7 30 this morning trying to get a spot to be right in the front row with the astronauts. For the astronaut panel. Yeah. And they talked all about their, I guess, their time as being educators and how they became astronauts, educator astronauts, which is really cool. And I think the biggest thing that they were saying, well, what do you think the biggest thing that, what is your takeaway from that panel of amazing astronauts? Why? Why were they talking to us? Yeah, it was, it almost made them feel more, okay, so like an astronaut is a celebrity. Like it's like someone untouchable. Like they're just so amazing. And they felt like regular people when they were up there and how they were just teachers. And the way that they, one of them was talking about the space toilet was like how she found out about the astronaut call because they're like, we just want to have teachers be part of this astronaut program. And so one of her students wanted to like find out about how the space toilet works, so she was like, I will figure this out for you and then through that found out about this call for astronauts. Um, and just like the way they got to where they are now and they kept saying there's no way this would ever happen. Like they they looked at the call for astronauts and like this would never be me, but I always tell my students dream big, go after your dreams, so I should actually take my own advice. Yeah. And- Every one of them said that in their own way. Yeah. And I think that one of the coolest things now is we have somebody who's rooting for educators in the space program because the head of the astronaut office is Joe Acaba, who's one of the educator astronauts. So I'm feeling like there's going to be a lot more education mm-hmm. um, in happening in space. hmm And there's just so many resources that we're gaining that we're going to have to link in the show notes uh, for educators free resources and um, ways to learn about how you can bring more space into your classroom, which we do a lot like that's our I mean, that's our thing, our thing. That's what we (laughs) mostly do. So. Um, stay tuned for more of that. We're really tired, so there may not be anything coming out of this podcast. Thank you for hanging with us so far, if you are. (laughs) Ramblings um, and reflections of Mm seek, Yeah, but I did have a question for you, Natasha, and it might be too late for you to really uh, answer well, or this could be a really good time to ask you, because your filter's down. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh So I was thinking about baseball did you you place you played softball with you <laughs> with me in college that was really good that was <laughs> <laughs> you'd never played before and then you <laughs> i've convinced you to play uh softball you for this dislocated s- your shoulder city. oh yeah i did do that i dislocated my shoulder catching a ball it's <laughs> <That's> impressive <laughs> that's right but <laughs> i did did you take me to the hospital? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my husband stayed behind. I yes, was like, he did. Stay behind. The team needs you. <laughs> but Natasha, they <laughs> don't need saying, you. They did not. I need, need you to me. take me to the emergency room. <laughs> that was a good call. <laughs> uh, so that's your only baseball experience. So you may not know how um, the minor league baseball works. Do you know about that? In what way? There's like... <laughs> double a AA and triple a like oh, farm, no. teams.
1: So, farm
0: teams so teams Uh huh. okay so there's like uh smaller lesser known but really cool baseball teams that play throughout the country they're uh like double a AA and triple a level and then it goes up to the major leagues got it so they they pull people from these lower leagues to the big leagues um, but you can go see them like there's the Frisco Rough Riders or the Savannah Bananas. If mm-hmm. you like see them on TikTok, they're really cool because they dance and then while they're playing oh. anyway. Should, oh, but, OK. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Have you seen, those? Yes. I've seen some of those? OK, amazing. I have a point. I'm getting somewhere with this. But I was thinking about this because. Uh, The reason why they have these lower levels of baseball is because there's like a like a developmental process that baseball players go through before they're ready for the big leagues, because if they just pull them up like right out of college or high Mm -hmm. school, um, it's like too much. And they 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 blow it. Like they cannot handle it. And I don't know if this happens in other sports. I feel like baseball is such a mental game. Um. So anyway, that's why. And there's like levels. So there's double A first and then to triple A. So everybody goes through that like level of process. I'm pretty sure most do. So it's like preparing for it. Okay. Yeah. But it's like a developmental thing. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about that with, um, you know, we have three stages of STEM. And so that's kind of a way that we progress through, uh, like developmentally appropriate ways to go through, uh, you're basically scaffolding, right. Mm-hmm. But do we need to scaffold more in stage one? Like with the engineering habits of mind, is there like a, a hierarchy or like a levels mm. of the, um, ha- engineering habits of mind? Hmm. You want to answer first? (laughs) I'm asking you as a PhD candidate. Yeah. Thank you. If this is part of your research (laughs) or I don't know, maybe there's something that thought of what we were supposed to talk about. (laughs) That was a good exact segue. Yeah. Okay. So part of my research was to talk Oh, Sweet. okay. Right? Yeah, I remember. Okay. Light bulb. Okay. Yep. Back the story to the listeners is we probably spent 10 minutes trying to remember <laughs> what we were going to talk about. Yeah. And so you threw baseball, you brought us home. I to... did. <laughs> Let me get to Professor. it. Professor. Okay. Got it. Okay. So I, for my PhD, I interviewed a bunch of um, engineering professors. So they are, they teach the future engineers. So they teach undergraduate engineering. And I was just really curious to get their perspective on what should we teach kids that will be future, their future students. So K-12, what do you want us to do, professors, to prepare students for your um, classes? What do you think that they prioritized? This is gonna come back to your question. What did they prioritize? Um, I would think basics, like, solidify their understanding of math and science mm-hmm. to become a good engineer. So you got it. Number 1, math. Uh-huh. Number 2, natural science. So like physics natural. Oh, and okay. chemistry. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Life sciences. Number 3, habits of mind. Hey, yep. Okay. And then the bottom of the list, engineering. <laughs> <laughs> I would say not even the bottom of the list, like do not teach that is probably what they would think. Yeah. So they basically, actually, yes, there were several people have quotes that were like, I would prefer that the teachers (laughs) don't teach engineering because my students come in so confused about what engineering is really about. So they're like, they try to cram like thermodynamics into a couple of days and then they come take my thermodynamics class thinking they understand the subject. And they have to untangle all these wrong ideas. Um, The other problem they see is they love that engineering is like integrated in the curriculum and like kids are excited about engineering. But the way we teach engineering is without the math. We teach engineering without the science, which isn't realistic. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. that's where they're coming at. Like, if you're going to teach design, you have to do it through the way that we do it as engineers. Otherwise, all these freshmen are coming in thinking we're like going to throw some popsicle sticks together and build a bridge (laughs) when that's not how bridge design works. Mm. Um, So they were like, you know, what we really need, our students struggle with grit, just getting through the program, how to work in teams and communicate how to solve complex open-ended problems. They're like, they're really good at these like simple calculations. Number one step, do this, do that, do this. But when it becomes more than that, and they have to really think critically about a problem and like, how do I tackle this? They're like, oh, they're so lost. They're like, so leave the engineering to us. But if you could help prepare us, those students to be better thinkers, like critically solve problems, that would help us. And I think that takes 12 years. Right? So my point was, yes, I agree with you. And I know you have a lot to say on like creativity side. Uh Um, But I think just problem solving, how do we teach kids to be better problem solvers is not necessarily, oh, they solved a problem. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's not that simple. Yeah. And how do you like build all of these steps? And how do you make things more complex i don't know i don't know what the best way to do it but i think there do need to be stages with the stages stages within the stages (laughs) yeah so i was trying to think like is it better to for students to build up that perseverance um individually and then the teamwork comes after that like are they not ready to work as a team if they don't know how to personally persevere Mm they need grit first and then um, communication next before they and then do communication the collaboration. maybe but also each one of those is a very rich skill set right so like communication could be drawing verbal mm-hmm. written like there's so many little aspects yeah. to it and the same way like you have your creativity tools right mm-hmm. creativity comes in so many different forms and ways that we can teach it Um, and like creatively attacking a problem (laughs) is very different than creating a mission patch logo. Right. There's just so many different things like layers of these skills and different context. And so one is just giving the opportunities to have experience in that, but as a skill you want to model it. So like with creativity, you have these creativity tools Mm-hmm. And you're showing them. Like, whenever I say brainstorm, here's what I actually want you to do. Because most times when we do STEM challenges, we're like, come up with a solution. That's what I do. I'm like, figure it out. And I know you have like actual strategies to yeah. coming up with the idea. Well, because it's uh, this is something that you know when I I have a creative creative studies minor I got as a bachelor, uh, bachelor, <laughs> with my bachelor's degree whatever i guess i was kind of a i don't know <laughs> bachelorette <laughs> bachelorette as a bachelorette i got a creative studies minor and when people would, always, people would ask me what that is and do you know what they would always say that it was what they thought it was i, I mean i know I guess you know, I know what, what it is, is. Throw them the card, at, yeah. yeah they'd be like so is that like coloring No, (laughs) it's like, yep, aerospace engineering degree and a minor in coloring. That's what (laughs) I did. I was like, no, it's a way of thinking outside the box. So it's a way to um, approach problems from different perspectives. Way to step back from a problem and what tools can you use to uh, create different pathways in your brain. So that's what my uh, master's degree is in. Is creativity and cognition. And the cognition part is the developmental part, the learning part, and how you can process and creatively think about problems. So something that was taught in several of my creativity classes was creativity is a muscle. It's you always hear people say, well, I'm not creative. It's like, no, that's like saying you're not strong. It's like, well, that's that's a how to build our strength. A, that's yeah. a variable that you can change, that you can work on, and so that's what we do. Um, what I do in my classroom, teach, model how to brainstorm, and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. I want you to I just write down all the ideas that you have. I want you to pick two ideas, see how you can combine them. Like they could be totally random or we just model by looking around the classroom and saying, okay, I want you to come up with an invention right now. Give a word to your uh, person right next to you. Name a noun. Let's combine those nouns. Or how can you use uh, this object in this way? Like for fashion and just ways to rethink your world Um, because we're every. Other class in school is a procedural, right? So math, this is how you do a problem. This is how you approach it. It has step by step by step, um, uh, how you write things. Mm-hmm. This is how you write a paragraph or do the chunks or whatever, but that's, that's not how engineering can progress our society. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to think differently than how it's been done before. Otherwise, you're just going to get to the same solution or problem. Right. So I don't know. Creativity is such a broad thing. That's what I mean. With each bucket, they're so broad, right? Like problem solving. Mm-hmm. That's a big word. It yes. means a lot of different things. And there's a lot of overlap, mm-hmm. like communication and collaboration. Those are almost the same word. Right. <laughs> uh, So I don't know. I was just thinking with my own students, since I teach kindergarten up through, I have a 10th grader right now and we'll, my school will be expanding into 10th grade next year thinking, how can I make sure that I haven't missed something? I haven't uh, like with my students, my first graders need more practice with perseverance before we're really hitting stage two. Mm Mm-hmm like, is there? What I mean? Well, okay. So what I learned is um, I I had like this real mind shift whenever I was taking this grad class on how to teach science. Mm -hmm. And we sat and wrote our goals for our students and everybody just brainstormed ideas. I guess it's a creativity, open-ended kind of exercise. And we all wrote all basically the same goals. We realized that Everybody was like, get into the same place. Like, yeah, we want them to learn science, of course, but we want them to think critically. Mm -hmm. We want them to problem solve. We want them to be able to communicate. Like, these are all goals that all teachers have for their students, regardless of the subject. Right. Yeah. Um, So how we teach the subject is the key. So whether we're doing math, whether we're doing science, whether we're doing history the way it's that hands-on, minds-on approach, which we actually heard from one of the astronauts, yep. um, that helps us get to these skills. And so if you're even if you're teaching history, like you ask them these open-ended questions and have a debate in your classroom. When we teach science, we wanna do like scientific inquiry, right? When we do engineering, we do these design challenges. And the way we structure the class is we get the students involved and engaged with the content. They're driving the learning and in that process they have to be creative they have to be solving problems they have to be persevering through it so it's almost like how you create your classroom environment and learning is going to accommodate all these skills Mm -hmm. and I don't think we always have to be so intentional for each one you don't have to name it right you just have to make sure you're facilitating a giving the opportunity for them. Hiding the opportunity. Yeah, to fail. Giving them the opportunity to are be there? creative. What are the ingredients to make sure that's happening? Well, often the teachers feel this burden of teaching, right? Uh-huh. Where I need to do everything and I have to lift the weight of my students' learning. I got to give them the information, fill them up, right? Mm-hmm. That's not actually going to work very well. (laughs) Um, you need your students to grapple with the content and allow them to have that opportunity. So let's say we're doing a science lab instead of being like step-by-step, here's what we need to do. You just pose a question and you say, how should we figure this out guys? Let's talk about it. What tools do you need to figure out? There's your creativity, Mm -hmm. right? How can we work together? Maybe we should assign roles, you know, and I can, I would say kindergarten don't do that (laughs) have more control in the classroom but when you get to your 10th graders they should have like total ownership of this experience Mm -hmm. of like this is the problem we're trying to tackle even better if it's coming from the students because they want to know that information but do you see where i'm going with that Mm -hmm. and i think this was something that they said during our conference uh that curious kids what was that the phrase that he kept saying Keep your kids curious. Curious kids are kids that are learning something like that. Right. It's it's such an important ingredient. Yeah. Keep their curiosity.
1: So yeah, asking
0: questions. Yeah. And that's the big problem in education right now is it's so scripted. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that with scripted canned curriculum. And we have that challenge in writing curriculum is a lot of teachers say, just tell me what to do. Tell me what to say. (laughs) What order do I go? And we're like, don't teach that way so we don't teach that way and my class each semester looks totally different because I adapt to what my students are interested in and of course I have parameters like I'm hitting the same topics every year but it always shifts based on like oh like one student was really fascinated we were talking about like light and why do mosquitoes go to certain colors of light? Like when you have that blue light thing, mm, like, well, why yeah. does not it... make sense? So we like unpack oh. that. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to look it up. <laughs> why do they? It has to do with the ultraviolet light. So they can see colors that we can't or see wavelengths that we can't see. And so oh. it probably looks like really, really bright to them. So it's like, oh, and they get really attracted to it because it's a Aren't higher not you telling frequency. me that cats can see ultraviolet? That was at Seek. Somebody at one of the sessions oh, was saying was. that if you ever notice your cat just staring at the wall. <laughs> I don't know if this is true. We, we have need to no check idea if this is true. But then I... would a cat be attracted to a bug zapper? This could be dangerous. And then the scorpions were somewhere in this conversation with ultraviolet light. So Oh, because they fluoresce under ultraviolet because oh. I hunt them. That's the only way to kill them. You have to hunt them. What does that mean so i walk around my house with a uv flashlight and you just look for them and then they fluoresce and it's so crazy and creepy and then you squash them excellent because they yeah their exoskeletons <laughs> see- are so hard they they can't um they don't absorb like the bug spray like we have exterminator. Oh it's gosh. a problem out in the country yeah but see yeah and like <laughs> that kind of thing would be so cool to your students right yeah when you talk about light my students this are true. like what <laughs> like to me that means nothing like i don't want to talk about scorpions but that's like actually an important problem and it helps you mm-hmm. it's we're still going to get to the same content my students just cared about mosquitoes because we're in Cold station there's a lot of mosquitoes <laughs> hey there you go yeah yeah, yeah um so it's like kind of going to where your students want to go but also i always try to ask open-ended questions right so not mm-hmm. like yes or no my labs aren't scripted so we're i'm forcing my students to make decisions and they're very uncomfortable in the beginning yes like you mean i can use anything in this room I'm like anything i opened a cabinet they've been in this classroom for several semesters and they didn't realize that there was a cabinet in the room with them full of power tools. <gasps> it was amazing. I opened it up and they all like gasped. <laughs> what I just did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, there's a table saw right around that door. Wow. And I was like, there's five 3d printers in that room. And they're like, what, what do we do with them? And I'm like, whatever you want. Like I'm trying to empower mm. them yes. to make these decisions. And that's like the same way we should treat our kids is like, nurture that curiosity and that's where science has so much magic for kids because they get so excited to like try to explain these things so it, it's hard whenever you try to like when we talk about stage one and you're building these like very structured activities mm-hmm. we need some of the like tower challenge and i'll like force them to work together but also just the way we run our classroom it just happens if you do it yeah in a way that nurtures it Right. And I think a lot of students just feed off our own energy. So if we, and that's why I love space. uh, They can tell we're excited. They can tell we get passionate about it and we're like super excited about it. They can tell by the clothes that I wear. (laughs) (laughs) But do you think that's what um, these professors that you did the survey, do they just want curious kids? Is that that the key? Hmm. They want curious I, kids that have had practice with all the things that you talked about. Grit and communication. And I wouldn't I would take it further from curious to motivated, perhaps. Like they're motivated to learn. But they said Intrinsically if motivated. you can if you bring them in with math.
1: Math, oh, okay. math,
0: math. Like I had one just in all caps wrote it five times math, 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 yeah. they were like, and there's a lot of data. So A&M did a survey or they had all the incoming freshmen. They take this math exam mm. and they said the number one indicator of whether you'll graduate engineering is how you scored on that math exam. There's like a threshold or if you're under it, they're like, you shouldn't even try because it's so hard to catch up.
1: Oh. Basically they tell you
0: go take all these remedial classes, then come back. Okay, So they're almost really emphasizing math over science And Mm -hmm. so while science is number two, math is above and away number one as like the most critical thing an engineer needs. And guess what? Engineering is in science in our K-12 program. That's right. We don't pair it with math very often beyond like, let's do a data table. You're right. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. never a numerical quantitative analysis like really the way engineers do. And so I think it's actually shocking for the students who come in and they're like, what do you mean all my classes were just doing math? Like <laughs> yeah. Every class we took from thermodynamics to physics to everything Propulsion math. Propulsion to orbital mechanics. Mm-hmm. Everything was math. You're mm-hmm. right. It was very little, very few concepts that we really needed. Huh. And then it was like, how do we take this one concept of like heat transfer?
1: You and know? then. And here's your equation while
0: the analysis of how does the heat move in a room or like the beam, <laughs> just like, it's a lot of math. It's all math. Yeah, you're right. And I think if we, if we propose it to students in a way that's a, applied, mm-hmm. then they really get that depth of math, but they do need that. The basics too. Cause you it know, takes years to build up those skills. You can't just like, I'm going to learn calculus, right. you know, without having all the algebra and trig and yeah, Mm pre-cal, it's really hard. I Mm -hmm. think one of the most important things you can tell students is say, I love math. They need to hear those words more Mm -hmm. because I think they hear so often people say, their parents say, other adults say, I'm not good at math or I hate math. Right. (laughs) It makes me cry inside. So I'm like mm-hmm. you just destroyed some of their confidence by saying this might be too hard for you <laughs> right and i think we do a big disservice also um the problem i have with a lot of stem programs is it gets kids engaged and excited with these really fun activities like we love our design challenges right and mm-hmm. space and rockets and i get kids to launch rockets but we can't expect that to be enough Um, And I've heard educators say, well, I have all these students that they just are terrible at math. But I'm like, you can be an engineer. And I'm like, no, no, they can't. can't. Be realistic. Don't set them up for failure. And if there's some just students that really just don't like math and they're just not great at it and they're better at other things. And there's a lot of jobs for the other things. And there's other types of engineering that aren't as math heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, say, aerospace engineering is really hard to get through. If you really don't, I mean, I don't love math, but I had to do it <laughs> to get through it. And yeah, we were one, all you had to do is take one extra course to get a minor in math. Mm, and that's how much that's math right. we, yeah. we had. Um, but yeah, and that's something we've done, tried to do. And we've kind of followed the trends here with science because NGSS came out put in engineering into the science classroom, right? So we've Mm -hmm. like shifted a lot of our curriculum to fit that because that's what teachers are asking for. But I know like when you write curriculum, you're often pushing the math. Like I know from the beginning, we had like that heart rate math, Mm -hmm. right? Or we did the asteroid math. So it's like, how do you connect fractions to engineering? Um, So I think we need to- I do a lot of math. You do a lot. In my class, even stuff that's not in our curriculum. Mm -hmm. So I probably should just add it in there. We should yeah and i mean there's so much opportunity for math oh one way that i actually do math every week in my classes is with the budgeting Mm -hmm. that's just a really good way to easily integrate math and so we have we have budget sheets I think they're free in our TPT mm-hmm. store. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so easily available. We'll link them in the show notes, uh, budget sheets that you can use with any engineering design challenge and just gives kids a way to, uh, one, not use up all of your materials because they have a budget <laughs> they have to stick to. But, uh, I mean, it just a good way to practice math. Um, so yeah, that, uh, it's always easy to have your constraints, be Mm math-related, so a size of whatever their build is. What's the surface area? Yep. It cannot have a perimeter greater than this or an area greater than this. Mm -hmm. And so they have to do all of that math. Uh, And that's just things that you're not labeling as math, but they have to do. It's just Mm -hmm. good practice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really good, uh, interesting perspective from that survey to hear what professors think. I have the whole ranking. It was, um, yeah, nine different topics that we picked. Um, so I'll be presenting that at the American, um, society of engineering education, ASE that's in the summer. Um, so I'm excited to kind of share some of those results and that will be a whole dissertation chapter. So if you're bored out there, (laughs) you can read it all. And when I, defend in a couple months um because i have a lot of data that i'm going through right now but basically i thought i could do the survey and then i should follow up with these professors and actually talk to them because like who's gonna spend that much time on a survey oh no oh they spent like 20 plus minutes on these surveys i have so much data i don't need interviews like they told me everything (laughs) were they like ranting yeah there was a lot of ranting okay um so i asked him like What do your students do well in? Your undergrads, what do they not do well in? They had a lot to say. And then I showed them a roller coaster engineering challenge that was like really popular. We do it. Right. I was like, here are some pictures of the students' projects. What are your thoughts of this being the way we teach engineering in K-12? They had a lot to say about that. Well, I really look forward to all these results. I think you need to make an audio book version Ooh, of your dissertation just record it and then of <laughs> you <laughs> reading but please, I'll read it to you please do different like voices or something for your mm. different articles I don't know how you should do that or yeah no when you quote when I quote people yeah mm-hmm. make it really um animated very yeah just like professors are yes okay. I'm looking forward to it with accents too yeah well you can look forward to that and more about this topic but uh for now stem space out do you have a question about STEM education or how to teach it? Email us at infovivifystem.com. We would love to help and maybe even discuss it on a future podcast episode.